0: Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 92 Share 'em. Hello. Welcome back to the Sister Scriptorians podcast. Okay, honestly, February is kind of kicking my trash. (laughs) My kids have been sick. And this virus that they have, it's a beast, I'm telling you. It's not the coronavirus, but it's seriously not fun. Lots of fevers and coughs, and my daughter had it for like a week and a half. Like I think maybe even two weeks. Anyways, and now... My three of my boys have it, and that's not fun. Fever and coughs. And anyways, a good thing, though, you know, got to find the positive. A good thing, though, is that it's led me to just kind of do more research about the word of wisdom and about foods that can help our bodies to be able to be stronger and build immunity. It's, it's led me to just be interested in learning about these whole food plant-based groups that And they have a lot of great information. And so I've been kind of trying out stuff and then introducing it to the kids. Some things they've liked, some things they haven't, of course. But anyways, I think sometimes it takes situations like this that you're like, oh, hate that cough, want to get rid of it. And then it starts leading you down roads of how you can do that in a healthy way. Anyways, that's what my week has been. I hope you're staying healthy. If you are. Share your secrets. <laughs> because, oh boy, I feel like my boy started right when my daughter was getting better. So we're just we're just beginning again. And hopefully my husband and I stay healthy. Anyways, okay. Today I'm going to begin at the end of Jacob 7. This is the last chapter that Jacob writes. And he is the last of Lehi's immediate family. If everything went chronologically... Perhaps Joseph was still alive, but other than that, Jacob is it. And so primarily after this chapter, and even during this time, the second generation of Nephites, I don't know, maybe even the third, are now of age and they are the leaders of their communities. Same with the Lamanites. Remember 30 years after Nephi had separated from his brethren. So I'm taking you back to Second Nephi chapter 5 for a minute. And that's where he writes about how they built up their civilization. He begins with their fundamentals, that they did observe to keep the judgments and the statutes and the commandments of the Lord in all things according to the law of Moses. So right there would make up the standards of what is required to be a citizen. It makes up their value system, their laws of governing, and also their way of worship. And because of this, Nephi adds, and the Lord was with us. And we did prosper exceedingly. And he then tells us what he means by prosper. They prospered in growing food, in raising their livestock, and also even in multiplying their numbers. Nephi caused his people to be industrious and to labor with their hands, and there was a lot that needed to be done. Nephi says he took the sword of Laban and he used it as a model to make many swords just in case the Lamanites would come upon them and try and destroy them. Remember, Nephi was commanded by the Lord to flee because of the increasing anger of his brethren and because of their desire to take away his life. And I think the word choice here is important. The Lord didn't command him to depart. He was commanded to flee. But it wasn't just weapons that they would build. Nephi taught his people to build buildings and to work in all manner of wood Iron, copper, it says, brass and steel, gold, silver, and of precious ores, which were in abundance. Remember when Jacob spoke to the people, he too acknowledged that these ores were in in abundance in the land, and that it was the hand of providence smiling upon them most pleasingly. And with the abundance, that the Lord provided Nephi built a temple, and they lived after the manner of happiness. Now, years later, as Jacob is coming to an end of his life, this is how Jacob described the state of his people, and starting in verse 24 of Jacob 7, The Nephites were actively engaged in reclaiming and restoring the Lamanites to the knowledge of the truth. I'm sure that it was truth as found in scripture, but also truth regarding their own personal history with one another. They were putting in a lot of effort at trying to find ways to reconcile with their brethren, but Jacob says that many means were devised to do this, but it was all in vain. The Lamanites delighted in wars and bloodshed, and they had an eternal hatred against us, their brethren. And they sought by the power of their arms to destroy us continually. So keep in mind that peace or happiness that the Nephites had once hoped for, sought after, and built up was threatened by the hatred of the Lamanites continually. I imagine that that would have a major impact on the people cause a lot of soul-searching questions to rise up, misplacement or confusion about where you get your power and your security from, and that can start to worm around in your mind. Also, I imagine that there was some overcompensating for the loss and the fear that they would experience. Continual threats and wars can make security and peace very difficult to have. So I think that's something to keep in mind about the experience of the Nephites at this stage. The Nephites, however, were continuing to put their trust in God, and they were able to conquer their enemies. But I find this description of Jacob's to be telling. He says, The time passed away with us, and also our lives passed away like as it were unto us a dream, we being a lonesome and a solemn people, wanderers, cast out from Jerusalem, born in tribulation in a wilderness, and hated of our brethren, which caused wars and contentions. Wherefore, we did mourn out our days. That sounds sad, and it sounds hard. Even though the Lord was with them, and they had beautiful doctrine to sustain and carry them forward, reminding them of who they are and where they came from, what their part in the Lord's plan was, and that it was all going to eventually work out with the atonement and the resurrection that will be brought to them by Christ. Though they were placing all of their trust in the doctrine of Christ, life was still hard with plenty of opportunities for grief and loneliness. Does that sound familiar? The reason why I begin with the condition of the Nephite people is because maybe that played a role in the effect that Sherem, the first Antichrist, had on the people. Also, I want you to identify with the Nephites and avoid seeing them as being different than you. If you see them as different, that would be a missed opportunity today. Because you too experience loneliness. You also have experienced loss and fear that life is not turning out the way it should. And you have wrestled with questions, still placing your trust in God, but it doesn't always feel like sunshines and rainbows, does it? And there are times in which the know and then the feel— Aren't lining up. I know God lives, but I'm not feeling the love part. Can you see a Nephite mother or wife battling such a dialogue in her head, especially during preparations of war and sending husbands and sons off to defend you from your enemies? Never mind the grief that follows when they don't all return home. You too have worked hard for what you have, and you love fiercely your family, and the security that you're building. And you know, or you can closely imagine what desperation surfaces up within you when these things are threatened in any sort of way. And though 99% of us have not wandered through the Arab desert, we have wandered our personal deserts where we crave love and acceptance and understanding where we're just searching for happiness and joy and just clinging to even a glimpse of hope. These experiences of mortality, well, they can be a carnival for the adversary, can't they? So then you throw in a prospering community who feel good for what they've built, rightfully so, but who also are struggling with pride because of their prosperity and you're beginning to believe that their substance makes them strong and pretty significant. And speaking of significant, if you are continually being checked by your enemies, but you keep prevailing against them, then that too can get in your head a bit, can't it? Basically, in every way that the Lord prospers us, if we let go of the truth of where that prosperity is coming from, even for a second, in Dance with Pride, we begin to weaken ourselves and expose ourselves to the adversary. Now, bring in someone who is charismatic, confident, and articulate. And he walks in and he puts himself up as a light among the people. And then he has flattering words. And if those words are giving you relief from the pressures that you're under— If they're giving you an escape from your worries, if they are minimizing the consequences that you have been told over and over again will happen if you give in to your temptations, well, if he's just giving you an excuse to let loose a little bit, why not listen to him? If he voices your questions, which then builds a boldness in you and you rely on your intellect instead of your revelation— Well, these can become slick pathways towards deception. And if the Nephites can be deceived for a time, so can we. Our circumstances are not much different than the Nephites. So, a man named Sherem came among the people of Nephi to preach unto them. And he said many things which were flattering unto the people. Remember how we spoke about priestcraft? And how priestcraft doesn't preach repentance. I think that this is what preaching many things which were flattering unto the people might mean. Jacob recorded that Sherem desired to overthrow the doctrine of Christ. And for a second, just take some time to find the irony in what Sherem desired versus what you've learned Nephi desired. And Jacob too. But Sherem desired to overthrow the doctrine of Christ, which, remember, is faith in Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then enduring. The doctrine of Jesus Christ is not only the gate we enter to be on the path towards eternal life, But it is our power source. And I'm finding, as I think about it more and more, it's our immunity against the effects of sin and wickedness. It literally strengthens us. Placing our faith in Jesus, who can do all things, gives us strength. Have you ever considered what a relief it is to exercise faith in Jesus versus yourself? (laughs) Next time you are filled with fear and doubt, check your faith. Are you thinking too much about you and your abilities or your lack? Have you ever tried switching that perspective by choosing faith instead? At first, I'm not going to lie, it can bring this odd feeling of uncertainty. But pretty soon, peace enters. There's a relief in not having to just solely rely on yourself. Often things look less dim and that solutions are able to surface up when I do this exact thing, which then strengthens my faith in Jesus Christ even more because I know that it is his tender mercies that are making me mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Repentance strengthens us by giving us relief and release. Remove those burdens. Try again keep moving forward, new beginnings, all of these fill our souls with the strength of hope that things can get better than they are now. Then baptism, by immersion for the remission of sins, that not only cleans us, but it makes us one of the children of Jesus Christ. We have chosen him and therefore he chooses us with the gift of the Holy Ghost baptism by fire. We are changed. We qualify to have a member of the Godhead guiding us, testifying to us, filling us with spiritual gifts and power to navigate mortality. We are born again. We are different than we were before. This is true strength and how differently would our lives look if we just took this from the intellectual and we put it into our heart through practice and experience? See, Sharon desired to attack the power of these covenant-keeping people and to leave them lacking, distracting them, flattering them, and deceiving them. Essentially, he desired to weaken them. And he labored diligently to lead away the hearts of the people, and he was successful. He used much flattery and much power of speech according to the power of the devil. And that phrase, power of the devil, think of the opposite of the power of God, which is his priesthood. The power of the devil would be priestcraft. And we know that priestcraft does not lead people to salvation— It is for personal gain and for accolades from the world. And it always, always replaces Christ as the light. And the devil flatters people away by telling them that there is no hell. He stirs them up to anger and he lulls them away into carnal security. Or in other words, he distracts them with what feeds our carnal appetites and with what the world offers in ways of security. That is priestcraft. That is the adversary's deception. And part of Sherem's success came from his talent of having a perfect knowledge of the language of the people. And what does that mean? For sure he could speak well. He was probably very eloquent and he could speak to them with ease. But I imagine that he had the skill to be able to provoke strong emotion in them. He knew how to play to their sensibilities. Do you know people like that in our societies who are really good at this? They appeal to the heart, to our charitable side, our desire to not hurt others or to not be seen as judgmental or discriminatory. We even fear their name-calling us. And we do anything to show them that we aren't what they speak of. I think that can be our emotional language. That they speak. And Sharon probably, I would imagine, had a good knowledge of their emotional language. But what about their spiritual language? If Sharon was presenting the argument that there was no Jesus and there won't be a Jesus, he most likely was playing on the show me the proof side of things. I imagine that Sharon was just like those today who make fun of people of faith. They call it imaginary, superstitious, or just a way to bring one comfort, but not based in reality. Sharon may have even played on some of the questions that the people of faith had, but were patiently waiting answers for. Perhaps he had a way of explaining all their spiritual questions away with the everyday practical, like the woman who felt the need to tell me that I most likely just grew out of my petite mal seizures. After I bore testimony and gratitude of the faith of my parents who had fasted and prayed and used the power of the priesthood to take me off the anti-seizure medication, and that I had never had another seizure since. Maybe Sharon was like her, or perhaps he was just good at highlighting arguments about what's so bad about riches, what's so harmful in loving more than one wife. What's so bad about having fun instead of choosing to be solemn like Jacob described the Nephites as being? Loosen up, Nephites, and eat, drink, and be merry. Maybe he was good at pointing out the faults of these so-called quote-unquote followers of Christ. Boy, do we see that today. And frankly, it makes me cringe. You just look at Facebook and you'll come across them those who point out the weaknesses of those in the church, holding them accountable for the weakness of some or sometimes just one and who exploit it to be a major problem of the entire congregation of the church. Past insensitivities are, are highlighted and the ignorance of some are worded in such a way that all members of the church carry the shame, despite whether or not they are even guilty of the offense. And these articles are always worded very eloquently, but layered in shame, putting the author as the enlightened or the evolved Christian, more evolved and enlightened than the rest. I could see Sharon using such tactics to shame the Nephites, pitting believers against non-believers, or even shaming the Nephites and their doctrine in comparison to the Lamanites. Can't you? And before you know it, Sherem could even say, who is this Jesus that Jacob speaks of? There is no Jesus. We're supposed to be following the law of Moses. And now Jacob is trying to distract us about some someone named Jesus who isn't even supposed to come for over 400 years from now. From the scriptures, we know for sure that that was the message of Sherem. Feeling emboldened, I guess. Sherem desired to meet with Jacob about this. He felt so sure of his skills that he discounted Jacob. I mean, (laughs) Jacob was someone that the Lord spoke to from time to time. Jacob had heard the voice of the Lord, but Sherem thought of himself as someone who could contend with that. If an antichrist like Sherem felt so emboldened to approach Jacob, What would stop current antichrists and their followers from doing the same with you? Can you say like Jacob, I could not be shaken? Have you heard the voice of the Lord through the Holy Ghost? Have you received personal revelation that you know to be from him? Isn't that what President Nelson is pleading with us to do? So are you doing your homework? So basically, Sherem meets with Jacob, and Sherem accuses Jacob of leading the people away from God. He claimed Jacob was perverting the right way of God, and that Jacob was being blasphemous because he was teaching the people to worship Jesus. He accused Jacob of not keeping the law of Moses and trying to convert the law of Moses into something about a being that will come hundreds of years from then. Do you see how Sherem did that? He took truths and then he made them half-truths. The Nephites should be following the law of Moses. But that law of Moses was to prepare them for the coming of Christ. And not only did Sherem find fault with the prophet of God for pointing the people to Christ, but the underlying message here is that Sherem found fault with the prophet's ability to receive revelation from God. And we need to take note of that. Sherem denied that there was and ever would be a Christ. Yet he said he believed in the scriptures. Jacob pointed out that Sherem must misunderstand the scriptures because Jesus Christ is what every prophet testified of. The very power that Sherem desired to overthrow, the power of the Holy Ghost, Jacob testified that through that power, Jacob had heard and seen the truth of Jesus Christ and the need for his atonement. If you think about it, no wonder an antichrist would desire to weaken your ability to feel the Holy Ghost. If he could cast doubt in you, if he can make it really hard for you to even recognize it pulling you away from that power source then you would not be able to stand as confidently as Jacob did under their boldness and their accusations. Sherem said he wanted a sign by this power of the Holy Ghost in order to believe. And a sign is what he got. And can you hear the cockiness in Sherem's request? Show me a sign by this power of the Holy Ghost. Sherem's request was to tempt God. And the sign that he got is Sherem fell to the earth. And after several days of being nourished, Sherem came to, And he then desired the people to gather to hear him. I wonder if it surprised them when he began to speak plainly to them and he denied the things that he had taught them. He testified of Christ, of the power of the Holy Ghost, and of the ministering of angels. He testified that he had been deceived by the power of the devil, and he taught of hell and of eternity and eternal punishment. He feared that he had committed the unpardonable sin because he had denied the Christ. He had said before that he believed in the scriptures, but now he confessed that they really do testify of Jesus Christ. And after all of this, Sherem died. And the people were astonished. But a miracle came to the Nephites. They had the opportunity to witness an Antichrist confess that he intentionally led them astray and that he had been deceived by the devil. You don't get that full circle moment always, providing you an explanation to all the chaos that occurs. But they also had a miracle happen that they had a firsthand experience with the truth behind the lie that Nephi had warned them about. He had warned them about the lie that would be told that there is no devil. And that lie was dispelled amongst this people. One of the adversary's followers taught them that the devil is real. Yet, right before their eyes, this follower took back his agency. Sharon confessed and tried in the time that he had left to correct the wrongs that he had made and he tried to point them back to Christ. Where there is a void, something will fill it. And this time, as Sherem attempted to cast out the dark that he had spread, light was able to fill it. Yay! <laughs> That's awesome! The power of God came upon the people and they were overcome and they fell to the earth. And Jacob, Jacob was pleased. He had prayed for that, requesting it from his father in heaven. And his father in heaven heard and answered his prayers. The miracle was that dark was cast out and peace and love of God was restored again among the people. Peace and love of God the very fruits that the doctrine of Christ promises us, these were poured out among the people and they searched their scriptures and they no longer listened to the words of wicked men. I believe that this chapter of Jacob is a big deal. I believe that we should do what we can to liken everything in it to our day. We, like the Nephites, are vulnerable to the deceptive doctrines of the adversary, who has servants who are sophisticated and who are charismatic and who are really good at drawing attention to themselves and drawing the praise of the world as they stand upon their platforms. They know our language really good and they can flatter us very easily. And unless we can say, and it be true, like Jacob was able to say, I cannot be shaken. We need to prepare against that deception. And as I have thought about it this week, how can I prepare? And what suggestion can I make to you? I am led back to verse 23, where after the Nephites were overcome, what did they feel compelled to do next? They studied their scriptures and they stopped listening to wicked men. They turned it off. You might ask, how do you know if they're wicked? You can't always tell someone's intentions right away, especially if they're trying really hard to hide it. And that's where following our current prophet becomes crucial. It comes down to personal revelation. It comes down to using the gift of the Holy Ghost, the same power that Sharon mocked and desired to overthrow, the power that will testify of truth, That will testify of Jesus Christ, teach us his gospel, and then change us to become like him as we utilize the atonement. It's just that plain and simple. Sister Scriptorians, take time to carefully review Jacob 7 along with 2 Nephi chapters 26 through 29. We are blessed to have these scriptures that teach us the deceptions of the adversary. Also read President Nelson's April 2018 talk, Revelation for the Church, Revelation for Our Lives. Make it your business to finally recognize and receive it. It matters. Make today a great day.